The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology, in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. You should just know, as uh, you, you get to know redemption, we're committed to Christ. We're committed to His Word. We're not committed to a preacher. We're not committed to one man. This place doesn't revolve around me or anyone else. This place revolves around Christ. So... Uh, we, we, we're, we're committed to that. We're committed to Christ and his church. This is who we are. It's who we are. And so we're continuing our series, even this morning, uh, as we uh, continue to look at these commitments that uh, we have as a church. And so over the last several weeks, we've heard our four pillars on apologetic preaching, unashamed worship, uh, unafraid witness, and uh, or unashamed worship, unafraid witness, and what's that fourth one? Unceasing prayer. Good. Man, y'all are awesome. You get that. And then we've seen these other two commitments that we have as Great Commission churches to purposeful discipleship and strategic church planting. Well, today and next Sunday, we have two more commitments that we want to look at. Today, we're going to look at our commitment to biblical leadership, a distinction of, uh, of Great Commission uh, churches. And uh, this, is, this is really who we are. Next week, we'll look at growing or maturing authentic disciples. And so turn in your copy of God's Word now to Acts 6. That's where we'll find ourselves this morning, Acts 6, 1 through 7. Maybe it's a passage that is familiar to you, but uh, we're going to take on this morning the, our, our commitment to what the Bible says about biblical leadership in a growing, maturing, and multiplying church. And we come here this morning as it's especially practical for us because it's an especial Sunday for us as we install our first deacons today. That is exciting, right? Praise the Lord for this. In our uh, almost four years as a church, we've had lots of firsts, if you've been with us. Our first worship service at the school, our first uh, uh, baptisms, our first small groups, first elder installed, first staff member added, and today is just another one of those uh, firsts in the story of Jesus building his church here at Redemption. And so let's come to God's word. Let's read it. I want to just lay it before us and then we will uh, look closer at it. But look at your copy of God's word, Acts 6, verses 1 through 7. And they say this, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. The twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. The word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This is God's word for God's people. A very interesting passage, isn't it, church? passage here uh, in Acts 6 where we have a, a, a beta version, if you will, of God's design for church leadership. 
Now maybe you've heard of like beta versions. There's beta technology and beta plans and all that. It's kind of the, the, the prototype, if you will, of church leadership here of these two offices that would eventually become elders and deacons. Very soon in the timeline of Acts, as God is building his church here, then churches would have to be multiplied as they send out Paul and Barnabas and others to make disciples throughout that region. Up until this point, it's just been the making of disciples, and the church has been growing and increase, uh, increasing in the first uh, five chapters of the book of Acts. And then uh, here, more and more people are coming to faith, and eventually, now they have believers spread everywhere. And so not only are they multiplying disciples, but also multiplying churches. And in order to do that, leaders have to be raised up and, to, uh, and deployed. And so what we see here in Acts 6, what we've just read, is what happens when the uh, apostles or the leaders there, they faithfully lead and shepherd God's people, this growing body of believers. Now the apostles, they know they have to rightly prioritize prayer the proclamation of the word of God and the raising up of uh, other leaders. And when they rightly prioritize their essential ministries, it has a powerful effect upon the church, among the people. And they, they understand they have to prioritize this. Otherwise, all their work will be useless, devoid of any sort of effectiveness. And so they devote themselves to these things and to raising up and training other leaders to fulfill their ministry, these, to fulfill these needs that are presented here, particularly to this group of believers. And so there's a central truth here that we take away from this passage, this narrative here that God has given us at the core of it, at the center of it is this. Write this down if you're taking notes because uh, it's so important for us. And it is this, it's that ministry multiplies when leaders prioritize the essential things. Ministry, true ministry people being saved, the word of God increasing, the, even the unlikely coming to faith. Ministry multiplies when leaders, when godly leaders, biblical leaders in the church prioritize the essential things, the essential things to their ministry. And so uh, in the text here, the apostles, it's very clear what their essential ministry uh, was for the apostles and then even transferring then to now elders. These essential things are what from the text? I've already said it multiple times. They uh, must prioritize or devote themselves. Verse 4 says to what? To prayer and the ministry of the word, particularly the proclamation or the preaching of God's word. And then I would add to the raising up of disciples or leaders that they are doing here in this church. And so you should know as your elders here at Redemption, we take these things very seriously. We are committed to these things, but by, by the grace of God, no doubt, and the help of the Holy Spirit, not by our own strength and not because we are, you know, so good at this or, you know, exceptionally godly, but we just see God saying, here's what elders should be devoted to. And I would say because we've done this and not because of our good looks and not because of, uh, you know, our great godliness, but because we've just prioritized these things, it's why we've seen God building a growing, healthy, vibrant, multiplying church over these last several years. Because of this also, we're at the place we are today where uh, deacons are now being uh, installed. Like we see here in verse 1 of the Jerusalem church, the disciples are increasing in number. And that is happening even at redemption in these days. God in his great mercy is calling you to himself. 
as disciples increase, ministry needs increase, and as needs increase, the opportunity for what also increases? What do you see in verse 1? Complaints. Complaints, needs, division, all these things increase as ministry needs arise to the surface. And so the apostles in, in, in Acts 6 here, they spot this and they move quickly to appoint the, uh, the servants the, uh, to, uh, uh, to meet these uh, real and legitimate needs. And so the text obviously teaches us the essential things of uh, what apostles or elders are to uh, prioritize. But the text also in the actions here of the elders or the apostles teach us about what deacons do as well. And so for the sake of this morning here, we're going to really focus in on that, of learning here what the essential ministry of deacons are from this text and learning from these beta Beta deacons. And so here's point number one that we learned from uh, verse number one is that deacons fight for unity in the church. Deacons fight for unity in the church. And if you've been at Redemption for any length of time, you know that this is the responsibility for all of us. But come back to verse 1. You see that the disciples are increasing in number. And so to give you a little bit of a scale of what's happened here from chapter 1 to chapter 6, if you go back and read in Acts 1, and I encourage you to do it this afternoon, you had about a, like this little band of about 20 uh, disciples. 12 apostles, uh, some women, and a few people. And that has now exploded as you uh, just get the numerical markers in here to about 20,000 people over not a very long period of time here. And so uh, when you have that uh, quick or that rapid of growth, what happens, especially amongst those who are young and immature? Like I just said, complaints, does division, thing, uh, feelings get hurt, toes get stepped on, and things just get missed, whether it's intentional or unintentional. You know, you can imagine if we were to gather like 20,000 students, what would happen? Oh, there'd probably be some complaints, like college campuses are experiencing this now, as there's been like, you know, the, the, all the students coming back. I'm sure the complaints have risen as well. But in this case, in the church, the friction is between the Hellenists and the Hebrews. You probably got that here. Now, if Christianity today was around in those days and this was, you know, kind of rising to the surface, it'd make it like a great headline, you know, hard times between the Hellenists and the Hebrews. It'd sell a lot of copies here. But what's happening is there's some racial tension here. There's actually some cultural tension that's going on here. The Hellenists were Greek-speaking Jews. That had since come to faith in Christ. Some lived there in Jerusalem. Others were likely just traveling into Jerusalem for Passover and had stayed there and, and been saved and, and uh, stayed now through Pentecost. And, 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 and they're a minority in the church. For the Hebrews or the, the, the native, the Aramaic-speaking uh, Jews of that day that believed in Christ. And so the Hellenists are, are, are contending for the vulnerable among them, those widows that are being neglected in what's said is the daily distribution. There's some debate as to what the daily distribution was. Some uh, translations, depending upon your Bible, may add the daily distribution of food. Maybe it was money. Uh, whatever case, they're being overlooked they're not being cared for. And the Hellenists rightfully sound the alarm. We have some vulnerable women among us that we are not rightly caring for. We're not told if it's deliberate or intentional. It's just the fact that they are. And you know what, church? It's in moments like these that the enemy loves to just like swoop in and create division. 
Great things are happening. The word of God is increasing. Disciples are coming to faith. And now there's an oversight, just human oversight or intentional or not. It doesn't matter. And the enemy, he just loves to like wedge his way in there and break up the good things that God is doing, doesn't he? You've been part of a church like this or you've just seen it happen in your own life. It happens all the time especially in the body of Christ, as we have, uh, you know, we've got all kinds of preferences about, you know, how kids' ministry should happen, student ministry, worship preferences, uh, whether we have singles ministry or marriage ministry or senior ministry, whether we should wear masks or whatever it is. Whenever there is an opportunity for division, the enemy just loves to come in and just fester that thing. And it is there in the church where our unity our unity around Christ, our eternal bond that will not be broken, is threatened. Those feelings are hurt. Those get stepped on. Forgiveness is withheld and bitterness creeps in. Disappointment about something uh, is left unspoken that then turns to bitterness, that then turns to hatred and turns to sin. So what does God do? He points biblical leaders to prioritize, to fight for, to champion the cause of unity amongst the people of God. See, we come into the church already, you know, like when we are born again, when God gives us a new heart in Christ Jesus, we are uh, automatically uh, brought into this family of faith. We're united forever, for eternity, actually. The person you are worshiping next to today, they're in Christ. You'll be worshiping with them forever. So if you're going to have to get along for eternity, we might as well get along now, right, y'all? That's easier said than done. Fighting for unity, it's the champion, it's the cause, it's what deacons really, what they, what they do, this, uh, this opportunity for division, this opportunity now that is happening. And God uses the apostles here to raise up a group of people who will meet these ministry needs and fight for that unity. Now, fighting for unity, you know this, and I just said it's not solely the, responsible, uh, the responsibility of leaders, but it's the responsibility of all of us particularly here when it comes to the church here, the responsibility of all who call redemption home. You may remember from several months ago as we were preaching through the book of Philippians, and we got to chapter 4 and verses 2 and 3, and when Paul calls out those two ladies for their division, right? It's kind of like that uncomfortable passage, like, wow, Paul, you're, you're just like airing everybody's dirty laundry here. But what did we learn in that passage? That unity is personal. Unity is communal. We're all involved. We all have a stake in it. Why? Because unity is eternal. And that conflict happens. Conflict happens when we just refuse to see from another person's perspective. Conflict happens when we just run away and don't, uh, don't believe the best. When we, don't, when, when we just go and retreat in isolation instead of facing it and talking things out. Conflict happens when we fixate on the problem, on earthly things, on personal preferences, and not on the eternal things, the gospel things, the true things that will last forever. So we know this, we embrace it, but here's what biblical leaders do. Here's where deacons come into the health and the multiplication of the church because biblical leaders, deacons, and elders continually bring our gaze back to Christ. Their job is to refocus us back on the mission, 
to expose what's yes happening in our heart and say, hey, come, let's, uh, let's walk this out in a godly way, championing and modeling for us a godly character that is to be exhibited in those who lead. So what do deacons do? What is an essential ministry is they fight for unity in the church. But there's a second thing that the, uh, their actions here teach us about what deacons do. See, deacons also free up the elders to pray, teach, and lead. To pray, teach, and lead. This is the uh, ministry of deacons. The word could literally mean like assistance in the work of the church. And so when, when biblical leaders prioritize the right things, elders prioritizing what God has called them to and deacons prioritizing their ministry here, not only is unity maintained, but, the, but in this passage here, the, the needs that had previously gone unmet now get met. And so what, what happens in the, the text here in, in verse 2? Well, the 12 apostles, they call this like church meeting, the full number of disciples. You can imagine that's quite a crowd in those days. I wonder how they spoke without like amplification. It's just like a little bit of a, a Holy Spirit amplification to get everybody to hear or something, right? But as they do it, they establish, they really do two things here. In verse uh, two and going on, they establish two things by uh, coming together. They, they establish the priority of the word of God. This is what we gather around. It is not right, uh, verse two, that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. They establish, here is what unites us, here is what leads us, here is what gives us our truth and our direction in uh, life. It is the word of God. But second, they also give credibility to the need. In, in saying this, they're not saying, well, those Hellenist widows, they can just go take care of themselves, right? They'll find some, something else you know, to get their food or money or whatever they need. No, no. They're saying, well, this is important we just can't do everything in the work of the ministry. So as apostles, they had to prioritize what God had called them to and raise up others to meet this need. And so the priorities are established. Why? Because the need was formidable and somebody had to lead it. The 12 couldn't possibly care for 20,000. Just like the three of us can't care for the 200 or so here at Redemption. And so more qualified leaders must be raised up. And notice what they're defined by, verse 3. Three characteristics here. Not necessarily their competencies, not their strengths. They didn't do a strengths finder uh, or anything like that. I'm not saying those are unimportant, but that is not the priority. There, there are three things. Look, at, look what it says here. These are people who are already demonstrating a, a, a good reputation. See that here? They are, they're full of good repute, meaning that their, their, their reputation precedes themselves. They already are doing this work. They are already shown that they are godly and capable to meet a ministry like this. And then look at the second thing. They're full of the Spirit meaning that the fruit of the Spirit is evident in how they live their life. Love, joy, peace, patience, righteousness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. All those right? Maybe not. Someone have to... Most of them. Fruits are evident in how they are living their life. They're full of also wisdom. Meaning they're biblically competent to meet the needs and to take up these, the, the ministry here to free up the elders and meet the needs of the people. And so they're appointed to this ministry. And verse 5 tells us uh, who they are. 
All these names, most of them whom we have zero idea uh, who they are, what they do. Stephen, we know he's mentioned uh, just in the preceding passage and into chapter 7, he's eventually martyred for his faith, for proclaiming the gospel, the good news that Jesus is Lord. We are sinners. Christ died for us. He rose again and lives now. And when we repent and believe, uh, repenting of our sin and believing on Christ, we can walk in newness of life. That message, he is killed for. Philip is also, he takes on the, uh, the, the gospel to the next stage into Samaria in chapter 8 here. But the other five, these other names, we, they're unknown except for here. Their names are Greek names. They're likely Hellenists themselves who are appointed to this work. But the point is, is that these leaders are being raised up so real ministry is happening so that the apostles can remain devoted to their essential ministries and the deacons can as well. And so these, these men here are those prototyper beta deacons where the office would then come later as the churches grow and are multiplied and mature and organized. Those apostles are like the prototype elders and here these servants are these prototype-like deacons. So I think what's very helpful for us uh, as we even come today in this ministry in our church here, as we understand deacons, you have to understand like what do elders do as well? Because this is where there's lots of uh, uh, misconceptions in the world. See, elders, they, they serve by leading. Deacons lead by serving it's been said. And so I know there's a lot of confusion maybe about these things, depending upon your background, depending upon the church that you grew up in. You're like, yeah, we had deacons, but man, it looked a lot different than this. They were the one who like ran the place. Or others of you, maybe you're like, what's a, what's a deacon? Like, I've never even been a part of church that talked about these things. And so uh, just for the sake of, of, of clarity this morning, I want to just put before you, so I think, some common misconceptions about uh, what uh, deacons do. And this also relates to what elders do as well. So they're on the screen here, and we'll just kind of work through them briefly here. But there's some misconceptions that, uh, about how these two offices work. It's some, some view that elders and deacons rule like two separate governing bodies in the church. Like one's the, the, uh, the Senate, and the other's the, uh, the House of Representatives, and the pastor and his staff. That's like the president and the cabinet and all that. So, nah. That's just a misconception. This is what happens when we take like political organization and or military influences and we 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 read it back into scripture. And that's happened all across the world when monarchies were the you know the uh, the 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 prevailing political uh, way in the world. Then that's where we got like you know priests and different things ruling and reigning over the, their empire. Same has happened even in democratic America. This is, we just have to be very careful of reading political or military or even business uh, organizational models back into the scripture. This is, this is not how it is. The, the, there's a second thing like, well, the office of deacon then must be like a stepping stone up into elders. no. This isn't an organization. This is, there's not a business ladder to climb. Like, okay, prove yourself here and work your way up. No, there's two separate giftings here. There's two separate offices. It doesn't mean that deacons can't become elders or vice versa. But it isn't a hierarchy like in a business here. There's also like this misconception about like, okay, well, deacons are the ones that hold the pastor accountable. It's just not the, not the case. Like if there's any question about the character of the pastor or pastors or the, or the deacons, then here's, here's the thing, y'all, that they're not fit to lead in that way. 
See, there, everybody holds one another accountable in the family of God. As a lead pastor, you know, we are amongst an elder board. I'm in a small group that holds me accountable. You hold me accountable for my life and ministry and the things that I am teaching and the other elders and those who would occupy this pulpit. There's like some trust issues there. Then that needs to be like worked out before the Lord. And, and uh, man, real work needs to be done. Or here's the last misconception. It's like, okay, the deacons, they control all the money in the church. Let me just put before you as we like read this passage and as you are to read through your New Testament or the rest of your Bible, like leadership isn't about control nor is it about money. Like, is money a real part of, of the church? Should we collect all that? Absolutely. We have to. It's, you know, it's, the church is more like a family, but are you budgeting in your family? I, I hope so. Should be. Are we good stewards? Are we, do we have a stewardship of you know, the resources of our family? Absolutely. And the same is true here in the church. And so it's not like, well, deacons, they control all the money. That's not what it's about. We're all stewarding it. So I think the, uh, the right way that this works, uh, kind of the, what, the model that we get from the scriptures is that elders set the direction phase within our means uh, all to advance the mission, not to advance anybody's you know, personal bank account. So elders set the direction, some, and it's led by one of our deacons here. Some collect and deposit this. And then, you know, in our sake here, we have Jill, who's an outside third party. She does all the accounting. She takes care of all the needs. She doesn't know any of us uh, here, and she knows all about what we give or don't give. So there's three layers. There's three protections here within the church. But it's not like, okay, deacons control the money. No, deacons uh, prioritize the essential things, which is to uh, meet the needs of God's to serve the practical and physical needs here. But it's not, about, it's not about any of these things here. And who gets to serve in this office here? Well, it is, it is the men and women of character. See, biblical leadership is not about control. It's about character. It's about being examples in uh, godly character. And, you know, here's, here's just like the truth about deacons and why I think there's lots of misconceptions and why there's lots of, uh, uh, you know, kind of ideas about this and different ways in different churches. It's actually because the Bible says very little about deacons. Very little. They get a mention in Philippians 1.1. 1, 1. I greet the elders and deacons. So, you know, okay, there's uh, some separation here. Phoebe is referred to as a deacon in uh, Romans 16, 1 and 2. She's, uh, give, she said she is a deacon. Greet this woman, this deacon of the church at Chentria there. So there's just a specific mention to this woman who is serving in this office. And then here in, uh, in 1 Timothy 3, verses 8 to 13, is the biggest passage, and it is all about character, character qualifications. Actually, turn over there for a second. I want us to just look at that for one second, and then we'll come and we'll close back with uh, Acts uh, 6 here. But turn over 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. This comes on the heels of uh, uh, the earlier part of the chapter. The first seven verses, guess what? Lay out the character qualifications for whom? For elders or overseers, pastors here. And then right flowing from the same thought here, as Paul is teaching us how we ought to uh, behave in the household of God in verses 8 through 13, he uh, teaches what the character qualifications are for deacons. And so let's just read it and I'll make some comments as we go. Pick it up in verse 8. Deacons likewise must be dignified. 
men and women of, uh, of character, of good repute, blameless, uh, uh, they're respectable in how they live their life and consistent no matter who they are with nor where they are in their speech. Look at the next character qualification, not double-tongued, meaning that they are, uh, uh, they are people of their word. They're not saying one thing and meaning another. They're not telling you one thing and telling somebody else uh, another thing. They are not double-tongued, nor are they addicted to much wine. But they exhibit self-control. They can say no to, uh, to alcoholic beverages. They're not greedy for dishonest gain. They're not using the office. They're not using any sort of influence that they have to, uh, you know, to gain their uh, own financially, nor also in prestige or power. They're not using the fact that they're a deacon uh, to uh, gain like some clout in their business or clout in the world. Verse 9 says they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience meaning that they are uh, resolved in mind that the good news of Jesus Christ is the hope for the world. No wavering, there's no, uh, there's, there's, there's no speculation on their part, but they are people who are holding fast to the gospel of Jesus Christ and letting their life prove that out. They must be tested first. That's why in our process here, we've had a long assessment and training process, and then they are to serve if they prove themselves through their life blameless. Continuing on then in verse 11 here are the qualifications for women who serve as deacons. It says likewise or in the same way the flow of thought here is that the qualifications for deacons is continuing on. Now I know if you have the ESV which is the version we love here they blunder in this. Okay because what does it say if you have ESV how does verse 11 begin? Their wives yes. And now you need to know something here. In the Greek, there's no possessive, no there. And the word for wives and women in the Greek is the same word. It's like men and husbands. And what differentiates that in the, in the con is the context of what is being talked about here. Now, in the preceding verses, we're not talking about husbands. We're not talking about uh, qualifications to be a, a godly man. We're talking about deacons. And so it's the flow of thought here. The context is not for like extra qualifications for deacons' wives, but rather women who serve as deacons. Likewise, in the same way, here are these qualifications for men who serve as deacons. Here is the qualifications for women. And so get erase that little there. It doesn't exist in, in uh, the Greek, and it should be women. Likewise, women then must be dignified. Same qualification, respectable, not uh, uh, inconsistent in character. In their speech, in the same way with men, not double-tongued, they're to not be slandered, not uh, 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 speaking poorly of others. And they're to be sober-minded, not up and down in emotions, not up and down, but steady as they process life, steady as they meet challenges, steady as they serve, and then faithful in all things, consistent, showing up, uh, a woman of her word, faithful in all things, no matter what her responsibilities are. So I know some people see this differently. Some people would uh, prohibit the uh, office of deacon to be occupied by women. But from what we gather in the scriptures with Phoebe as a reference, we'd say no. Uh, unlike the office of elder or pastor, which God limits to men only, deacons are open to women here. And he gives the qualifications in the flow of uh, character qualifications right here in our passage. Verse 12, then he takes it to the home. Deacons are to be uh, the husband of one wife, meaning a one-woman man. 
There is no, uh, there's no uh, you know, playing around with anybody else. That when you think of that person, they are committed to this spouse. They manage their children, their own household well, meaning they have things under control. They are leading their family in a godly way. And then verse 13 For those that meet these qualifications, not perfectly, but with the help and grace of God by His Spirit, those who serve this way gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. This is a noble office. Not a, not a bottom of the barrel, not a, uh, one to be looked down upon, but one that is to be esteemed and aspired to by many. The great confidence that we gain is because you get a front row seat to the work of God. The closer you are to the work of the ministry, the more you see that God is indeed at work. The, the more removed you are from the body of Christ, the more removed you are from the church of God, the less confident you are because you're so far removed from what God is actually doing. But the closer you are, the front row seat that you get, hands dirty, showing up, serving faithfully, you see what God is up to. And that gives us great confidence that God is who he says he is and he is doing the work that he has promised to do. And, excuse me, amen. And so, Character qualifications are laid out. And so come back here with me. I know we just kind of like piled that all on you. What are we to make of all this? What are we to make of just the, you know, the relative lack of, of description of deacons in the Bible? That the bulk of it is given to character. Therefore, as I've just I stated just a minute ago, character counts in biblical leadership. Too often, leadership, especially in the church, is given based on competency. Oh, he's a successful businessman. Oh, he's a really good communicator. Oh, she's rich or she gets things done. But the Bible's emphasis in any office who lead is always on character for both elders and deacons. And so ministry is then multiplied when biblical leaders prioritize that godly character and free up one another to serve in their skill sets. But come back to Acts chapter 6 with me. There's one final essential thing that we need to look at here. Note this, write it down. Deacons facilitate gospel ministry. They facilitate gospel ministry. See, deacons don't do all the ministry. They're not just like the hired servants that we all get to call upon, you know, like when our car breaks down or there's a leak at the church. Although knowing these uh, uh, that we are about to install, they would be happy and would run to the opportunity. But here's the thing, y'all. Do you believe in Christ today? Are you a believer? Then it is all of our responsibility to do the work of the ministry. Elders lead and equip for ministry. Deacons facilitate the work of the ministry, but all of us are responsible to do the work. Everyone participates and there are no spectators. And when we all get this and when we are all serving in this way, look what happens in verse 7. Here's the result of what happens. Why do we say ministry multiplies? Here's what we want. Here's what we pray happens even here at redemption, three things happen. The word of God continues to increase. It is going forward like water flooding the earth. And believers are coming to faith in masses. The disciples increase greatly there in Jerusalem. So many, uh, in fact, and so unlikely of people that a great many of the, look at this here, the priests become obedient to the faith. 
Now, that's incredible, y'all. The priests, the Jewish priests, those steeped in religion, those most hostile and, and, and uh, aggressive against the gospel. And these leaders are prioritizing the right things, doing the work of the ministry, even the most unlikely come to faith. May God make that so at redemption. The most hardened, the most aggressive, were the most uh, uh, violent against Christ would see and believe in this church. And you know what that happens? It happens not when we are, are resorting to church growth methods, not when we're trying to be, uh, you know, uh, cute and, and tricky, not when we're trying to like, you know, we're having billboards everywhere and, and things. But no, when Christ is the main attraction to the church, then Christ is exalted and people come to faith. And that's what we want. It, this, is, this is the result as we are working together and deacons are facilitating this gospel ministry where real needs are being met and the real true word of God is being proclaimed, then we will continue to grow. And we are praying that God would do it even here as we continue to raise up, as we continue to appoint biblical leaders to lead ministry teams, to lead small groups, as we install elders and other deacons and especially as we install our first deacons today church this is god's kindness to us god's kindness to us as we continue to grow and so uh, you know we began this process last january uh, as uh, the elders uh, we went away for a few days and we prayed and we sought god on who the what is what is this office who are these people and who is doing this in our uh, church so we began with a process, just asking the Lord, who's already modeling this type of behavior? Who's already modeling this type of godly character without the title? Several names came to the surface, and we asked several to begin that attesting and assessment process that uh, concluded this summer with a written and an oral exam in both theology and practice. And so uh, it was a fantastic process, wasn't it, guys? And so uh, as we uh, bring the service down here, I'm proud to now present to you four people. And so what are we going to do? Similar as we see here, I'm going to call the uh, uh, elders up here. We're going to pray and lay hands. And I'm going to ask the four uh, deacons to just come and, and kind of be here in the center. We're going to lay hands on them. So take that back there. So uh, uh, deacons, come on up here. I want to introduce and We have Greg Gibbons. Uh, he uh, serves in our facilities uh, uh, and uh, taking care of the ministry here. Lenita Legan takes care of our finances. Uh, Brian Moss, who's come there, he leads our, our uh, production. And, uh, and Paul Polson, he uh, builds lots of things around here and uh, serves in our family ministry. And that's right, and he does family ministry with students and uh, kids with his wife here. And so, uh, God, these four before us, uh, man, what a process it's been, hasn't it, y'all? It's been God's kindness to us. And, uh, and so we're going to just pray. When the Bible says we're laying on our hands, there's nothing like magical. There's nothing, you know, like, there's not like, you know, any sort of like weird things, you know, being bestowed upon us. This is just a sign of, uh, of, uh, of, of God's kindness and blessing and the, uh, the, the appointment now to this uh, office here. So uh, Eric and I are going to pray. Um, and so why don't you just, uh, if you want, if you have the strength, we're going to lay hands on. If you want to uh, stretch out your hands towards them, you can uh, do that. But uh, we're, we're going to pray and uh, appoint these four to this great office that we see here. So Eric, uh, lead us out. 
Father in heaven, you are good and gracious, and we love you. And we are thankful this morning that you brought each of these people to redemption. You had a great plan. Lord, we are thankful that they are people of character and that they have displayed what you have laid out in your word uh, week in and week out. And they have been dedicated and, and serving you well by serving your people well. And so, Lord, as, uh, as they wear this mantle uh, of the office of deacon, Lord, I ask you to stay with them, to, to keep their hearts pure, their, their speech pure, Lord. They're, they need you to continue to give them that holiness, to, to do well, to serve you well, to, to lead your people through their service. And so, Lord, we just, we leave it in your hands knowing that you have started a good work and will continue it through them and in them. And so we thank you in the name of Christ this morning for each of these people. That's right. God, we do just uh, place these four uh, before you, Lenita, Greg, Paul, and Brian, and thank you for them. Thank you for saving them. Thank you for sanctifying them and for maturing them for uh, this office, for this day, for your glory and our good. We do just tell you thank you uh, for this. They are evidence that you are at work, that you love this church, that you, Jesus, are still uh, building it and uh, are doing something awesome here. And so we pray for their ministry now in the various areas that they serve. Would you give them strength to do so, God, that they would not, like you warn in, in 1 Peter 4, that they wouldn't serve in their own strength, but in the strength that God provides. Would you give them great joy in the work, great joy in the facilitating of ministry, great joy in us stepping into uh, the, uh, the, the, the muddy waters of division and that they would be uh, harbingers of peace and unity, all for your sake, God. That they would find great delight in, uh, in their ministry, knowing that it is setting up the proclamation of Jesus Christ. And that the, he would be their motivation, that Christ, you, would be their prize and their treasure. So thank you for these four. Would you give them a long and faithful ministry among us? And would you do a good work through them that these, that more might be added to their number? And so continue your ministry among us. We pray these things now in Christ's name. God's people said.